2: Hey listeners, thank you for tuning in on the Liverbird Sailing Podcast again. I really appreciate that you take time to listen week after week. And thank you so much for the many lovely reviews and great ratings. I have had the best time reading those and I wish I could respond to them all individually, but alas, I cannot, so I will say it here. Thank you. Today's episode is actually brought to you by Mahina Offshore Services, and if that rings a bell, it's because John Neal has been a guest on the podcast before. In the past couple of years, I have learned a lot, but mostly about how much more there is to learn about. Mahina Offshore Services offers three ways to help you get started with the sailing lifestyle. Ocean sail training expeditions, boat selection and consultation, and a virtual cruising seminar. You can learn more about all of these on the website of mahina.com. And a heads up about a sail training expeditions in Scotland for May. John is offering a special price of just 2,000 USD for like two or three of his Scotland expeditions this year. That is an amazing deal. So I've put some links in the description if you are interested to learn more and maybe going to sail in Scotland this year. And now here's what's coming up in today's episode
3: being open to being a different person when you're cruising is huge there are the traditional pink and blue chores and responsibilities on the boat and there is absolutely nothing wrong with making any of them purple just mix it up and get involved you totally get to start fresh with the things that you learn about and the things that you specialize and you decide that you love and nobody can make that decision except for you and your partner
2: Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Live Abroad Sailing podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. This week, I'm chatting with a delightful couple, Julie and Gio Capelli from SVC Fox. I talked to them shortly after they had arrived to Mexico about their journey to liverboard sailing. In this episode, we tackle all sorts of topics like how they went from wanting an engine-less boat with no plumbing to owning a beautiful Swedish-built sailboat, and how they really, really dove into being super prepared for this lifestyle change. Here is my chat with Julie and Gio. Maybe we'll start from the a little bit from the beginning. So how long have you been boat owners now and Liverpool sailors?
4: So as far as boat ownership, uh, that goes back many, many years to many different kinds of boats and hauls, which when we started talking about it was actually helpful in our development as sailors because um if you've never touched a boat if you've never launched a boat before if you've never felt what a swell feels like or taken wake from some um pass, passing boat, passing boat yeah. um so it really helped owning boats in the past but our first sailboat uh we bought in 2019 her name was moxie um we bought this sailboat in july of 2022 mm-hmm. so we've had sea fox is her name for six months now and we've lived aboard since we bought the boat
3: (laughs) literally the day that we closed we were dragging our stuff down down in the dock cart like okay they got the money let's move
2: (laughs) 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 oh amazing so yeah so this is relatively fresh though for you guys but you know you moved around for a little bit but uh, uh so what kind of boat is it
3: Sea Fox is a 2002 Molo 39, so she's built in Sweden, um, shipped over here for the first owner, who had her delivered in Seattle. We're the third owners. She's been hanging out on the west coast of the U.S. and in Mexico for 20 years now.
2: Oh wow, nice! Oh yeah, that's really great to be the third owner. So it doesn't have a, you know, you know a little bit of the history then uh, for sure as well. But uh, why and how did you end up with uh, with this particular boat? Was it always something you thought about, like if that was in your on your you know to do list to buy this specific boat, or how did that evolve?
4: Uh not at all. It was so a process. Our, yeah, it was <laughs> very much of a long drawn out process. Our our first boat purchase list was very very different than what we're on currently. Uh, we decided that we were going to go cruising. And then we started with all the run-of-the-mill cruising books. We started with all the party books mm-hmm. and Hal those Roth. books, uh, Hal books, yeah. and those books are getting pretty dated now. Those boats that they're sailing on are now 50 years old. The boats they're recommending in those books are 50 years old, but we started with those books and we were like, these are really cool designs. They're mm-hmm. very salty looking. You know, these people are out there doing it in these boats. We could do the same thing. Um, and we, uh I would say the best thing that we did as far as our boat purchase was uh, hiring John Neal as a boat purchase consultant
1: mm-hmm.
4: um our uh, John was really uh, instrumental in getting us to think outside of the box He wasn't he didn't come right out and say, hey what you're thinking is not correct because there's a, a boat for everybody but he said I know you're thinking that this will work for you, but I'd like you to think about, this and take a look at something else and how would i know that this isn't part of your list but why don't you take a look at one of these things and and how much it costs and what year it is and um and the the different sailing characteristics of this boat compared to one of these old double enders or an old full keel boat and uh just think about something something different so um the help that we had from john really steered us to evaluate what we wanted out of a boat Mm -hmm. Um, and once we could put the criteria of these are our goals let's match our goals with the boat then we had excellent help in aligning those those two different things
3: yeah initially we were like Let's go do it. All these boats that we're seeing for sale are like 20, 30,000. We're not afraid of that. We don't need plumbing. We don't need electricity. We love camping. We'll be totally fine. It's going to (laughs) be a great adventure. We were so gung ho. (laughs) And John was the only person in our circle, really, after he hired him, who was like, you guys seem like you want to do this for a long time and you want to make this your life. And I would just encourage you to think about what your life would be like if you camped full-time forever. We're like, hmm, that's a really good point. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we would like to have an actual head. Maybe we would like to have some power (laughs) and some heat. And then thinking about like, what we love to do. We're both water people. We grew up on boats with our families and playing in the water. I was a scuba diving instructor. Gio's really into spearfishing. Like we know we want to be in the ocean all the time. And that was a big part of the draw for living aboard and going cruising for us. And John was the only person who was like, you should look for a boat with good water access because you're going to be in and out all the time. And, and if you have like, a double oh, ender,
4: you're going to be walking point. off a cliff to get in the ocean. Yeah.
3: We're <laughs> like, that's a really good point that we didn't even think about. So just there were, there were quality of construction points that drew us to the Swedish boats and the Malo in particular. And then all these other kind of what we previously thought were creature comforts, which we then evolved to thinking of as non-negotiables. <laughs> kind of helped us land on this would be one of the boats that would work for us because the market's been tight for the last couple of years and we wanted to make sure that we were shopping for a few different boats, not just we have to have this model of this year and it's got to have this layout and these custom features or whatever because we'd be shopping forever and maybe not find something. So we just kept this like evolving list of a few models um, and we shopped for all of those models and their different configurations and finally got this one.
4: Yeah. One of the, the big criteria for us was, um, lowest cost of ownership. Mm-hmm. And we didn't start out as millionaires or trust fund children at all. We earned every penny that we spent on this boat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the lowest cost of ownership, if, if you look, uh, and really pay attention to, to John's cruising or uh, selecting a cruising boat seminar, uh, he he itemizes out for you how old the boat is, how much is going to cost you to refit, how much it's going to cost you uh, as uh, as the owner to maintain it annually. And when you amortize those costs, the newer the newer the boat you can buy, the less it's going to cost you in the long run. Mm-hmm. You can buy an old salty boat that needs you to dump a hundred grand into it for fifty sixty grand, and you're still going to get the fifty sixty grand when you sell it. Whereas if you right. buy a newer boat, you're going to have a lot less age-related issues associated with the boat. Um, You're going to have all all those really big-ticket maintenance items. I'm not going to say all of them because you never know original construction and what kind of gremlins are living in there, but the fact that a mast hasn't been banging around for 50 years on a boat is a lot different than one that's been up there for 15, 20. And if you're looking at a a 50 year old boat that needs all new rigging and a new mass and a new. An electrical known...
3: overhaul. It's ready for fr- fresh plumbing. Like you're tearing mm-hmm. that thing apart and you are not going cruising the day you buy that boat.
4: <laughs> yeah. Right, so, uh, lowest cost of ownership was um, a priority of ours. Um, and John really helped, uh, helped paint the bigger picture of how it is the lower cost of ownership because we looked at some boats and he said, Well, I want you to think about this. And then we talked about it. I was like, it was cool because having his uh, boat consultation, he's an unlimited resource. You can send him an email 2 o'clock in the morning when you're having these, these thoughts that are keeping you awake. And it was like, John, so I know you said this, but why? And he will very pragmatically explain to you uh, through his many years of experience um, why what he has told you, how he has led you um, is truth and how it can help you in your boat selection
2: yeah and i mean it sounds like you had a bit of a journey going from like maybe you know 32 foot boat with no engine no plumbing while going camping to ending <laughs> up then with the you know 39 foot well-built quality boat i would be really curious to hear what were some of the other boats that you were considering and how long did this whole process of you actually finding these particular boat uh, take? Oh, gosh. So I think that once once we got turned
3: on to some of the higher quality Swedish builds and um, and other builds, it was probably about a year that we were looking really hard for this, our new short list. Um, we looked at a couple of Halberg Rossies. We really liked the Halberg Rossi 36 or 37. Those are beautiful. We looked at Amalo 36. Um, We looked at a couple of island packets, which are still in business and really stoutly built, strong, comfy boats. Um, But we want to sail more. That's why we didn't go for one of those. What else do we look at? Cape Uh, George.
4: So we put offers on four boats before we put an offer on this boat that was accepted and everything panned out um and everything in life happens for a reason it's probably good that we one of the offers we put on was a full price offer for an ovni 345 that was in ireland Uh which would have been an an interesting acquisition uh that didn't work out the the broker wasn't a very good communicator we didn't want to give a bunch of money to someone that wouldn't send us an email back but you know in hindsight looking at the design and and the constraints and and how small that boat is with such Mm -hmm. a shallow bilge it would have been a lot less room for stores um so we were at uh, Swiftsure Yachts um, just in Seattle, just looking around. Mm-hmm. We spent a lot of time looking for boats. We were on the docks every weekend. Every chance we got, we would go to different brokerages and see what they had out there, or just walk through marinas and try to sneak in gates and just so we could look at the different <laughs> boats and see who's on what. maybe pick some owner's brains about what they are on and how, how it sails and how they like it. Um, but we were at Swiftsure Yachts one day after we had looked at a... Uh, it was an Island Packet 370. And
3: a Beneteau. We looked at a Beneteau that day. Yeah.
4: Um, and we're at Swiftsure, and uh, Pete McGonigal is an, one of the coolest brokers we worked with. And he was on board a Molo 39, and he was redoing some teak bung plugs on the deck. And we were like, wow, this is a beautiful boat. Like, this is completely out of, this is untouchable to us right now. Like, it's completely out of our budget. It's completely, you know, higher <laughs> class than anything we could afford. Uh, Pete was like, you know what? Why don't you just take a look? It's clean. It's here. Go aboard. Check it out. And we wanted to onboard this boat. And it was like, oh, boy, this thing is fantastic. <laughs> is this so is so cool. nice.
3: And we've been just climbing all over um, these other boats, trying to make sure that, like, the proportions fit and that it felt good. Because I'm pretty short. I'm only 5'2". So I, it's really important to me that from the helm position, I can see <laughs> the bow of the boat. And the cabin top is something that I can get up onto without needing a stepladder or anything. So the way that we moved through the boat was really smooth and natural for both of us when we climbed on this one, just to look at it. Like we didn't even think about it. We're just crawling all over the place and it felt good, which is nice.
4: Yeah. And the space for stores on board was amazing. And uh, the pedigree is also amazing. Like I did a lot of homework, read a lot of books on on sailboat design and sailboat building and the way that they put these boats together um, is is really first class there doesn't get any better the hull deck joint is fiberglassed over the keel is not a bolted on keel it's not a -hmm. a cast iron keel it's a it's a encapsulated Encapsulated lead lead keel what else do we got in here that's awesome (laughs) we
3: have a lot of things that are awesome we really wanted a dedicated nav station because we we decided that we want to do blue water, we want to do offshore, we don't just want to hang out coastal, and we don't just want to live somewhere on a boat. So we, once we decided that that was our goal, it kind of shaped some of the features that we were looking for in what turned out to be this boat. So
2: yeah, I mean, the mallows, they're certainly not like mass produced, they're not that common. So I imagine when they are made, they're made with a lot of detail. And they do look gorgeous, like most Swedish boats that I've ever seen, they, they're really great looking.
3: <laughs> it is like a totally different caliber of boat. And like Gio said, we never thought that we would end up on something so nice. But when, when we really looked at the numbers of uh, we could buy something for 50 grand and then drop all the rest of our savings into it and then have a decent boat that we'd be able to sell for about what we bought it for. That's one option. Or we could bite the bullet and spend a little more now and be comfy and have a strong boat that's still got lots of life left in it because it's only 20 years old and a bunch of the refit work's already been done and the big projects, big priority projects that were left, we were able to take care of before we started cruising.
2: Exactly. And I mean, it is so attractive and and kind of distracting to look at these cheaper boats or and cheaper by me, I mean, you know, in the say $50,000 range, because they just seem so like, I can just buy this and, you know, go. But then when you start looking at it, like, well, you know, it's already 30 years old. By the time I want to sell it, it will be even older and I won't get the money back nowhere near. And I will have to put a lot of money and I actually wanted and to be time. sailing for the next <laughs> and time, exactly, and, time. and that's time kind of like
4: a huge, expensive asset,
2: yeah, and you know time is money. I mean, some people have the extra time and want to use it, but I wouldn't want to use you know two years of fixing a boat. I want to live on it. <laughs> you know it needs to be in livable condition, ideally, in a such condition that I can go sailing, yeah,
4: yeah. And you cannot concurrently live in a boat and have it ripped apart. <laughs> you can want to live aboard, but if you have to redo all the plumbing, and if you have a deck step yes. mess that you have to rip out, and there's a hole in the <laughs> ceiling, you're uh, you're you got to move out. You can, <laughs> you you can gotta,
3: live on it, but it will not be comfortable, and it will not be easy. <laughs> you can do anything that you set to your mind to. That's true, we did sure. live aboard this
4: boat for two years, two years, two, two weeks. weeks in a boatyard, and it was uh, it was a very interesting existence. <laughs> the boat was completely shredded. There was fiberglass dust in our bed and
3: uh... <laughs> <laughs> and every floorboard that we pulled up, we were like, "Oh, we should fix that. Oh, we should fix that. Oh, we should do that something about that. Oh, now I know that that's there. I'm going to be thinking about how I need to deal with that issue in the future. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, obviously, so you were searching for the perfect boat that you now have found, but you were searching for it for a little while. So how did you prepare yourselves? for the lifestyle knowing that you would be getting maybe a little bit of a higher quality boat that you can start sailing relatively soon so what kind of things were important for you to learn and to master before you actually went on and and bought the boat such a good question the
3: first one was how to sail because we didn't know how to sail
2: (laughs) Good.
3: Okay. Number one. For sure. So we were um, when we made the decision to go cruising, that's what we wanted to do. We were living in northwest uh, Northwest Arizona, um, working on the Colorado River and Lake Mead. So we had access to the water all the time. Um, in that capacity. And we were lucky because there was a small yacht club there that we took a weekend sailing workshop through and had the opportunity to sail with a few people um, on their boats on Lake Mead. Um, we took the, the basic ASA 101 class in Arizona just to kind of reinforce that basic sail um, basic sail skills. And then we bought our little trailer sailor Moxie. She just had a little cabin that we could take out camping on the lake for a week, two weeks at a time, and really reinforce our boat handling experience because that is important. Um, even though we grew up on boats and we both operated power boats and kayaks and stuff for work, we still really needed to fit that Mm -hmm. sailing piece into the puzzle.
4: Yeah, we'd never sailed before. We got this little 18-foot windrose. It was a trailer sailor with a retractable keel. Mm-hmm. And uh, the mast kind of sat in these bunks above the boat when you were pulling it down the road. But we'd take it down to the lake. Uh, it, we made a pact to do it once a month. We'd take the boat down there at least. Uh, we knew nothing about sailing and, and knowing about points of sail and sail trim and just the parts of a boat. You know, when we started working with the Nevada Yacht Club, uh, we went on some race boats um and did some <laughs> some races around the buoys with these guys and it was uh it was a horrible experience uh they, we were on board these boats that were not well taken care of they're falling apart as we're using them and the guys are yelling at us in terminology that we can't understand
3: it was like they're there like, speaking a the, totally different language yeah,
4: ease the jib sheet and you're like what's jib what's sheet how do i ease like it was and and then they yell it louder at you like you're supposed to understand and it was it was like all right well this isn't going to work for us because we're getting yelled at and we don't know how to communicate yet so the next transition was we partnered on a what was that coronado 25 we we partnered with a woman in the nevada yacht club on a coronado 25 Mm -hmm. we were going out on that thing uh few weekends a month learning more about sailing more about boats and layouts and the owner was not very conscientious there were some safety related items that weren't being addressed uh, it was her priority to keep it pretty and cute and it was like if this is our boat we would make sure that the helm worked better than this and that our compression post under the mast was not cracking so I was like let's check let's keep an eye on Craigslist, let's put a budget and look for a boat and that was you know it was Actually, that first shopping experience for a boat, we looked at how many sailboats did we look at? 20?
3: (laughs) Quite a few. And we're living in the desert, right? So it's not like sailboats are a dime a dozen. In the desert,
4: there's a few, but a lot of them have been
5: baked
3: in the sun for a while. So you're like looking at the boat, but then you're also looking at like the tires on the trailer and whether they're about to blow (laughs) or not.
4: (laughs) So, yeah, we got a little trailer sailor. It was an excellent uh Uh, learning platform uh although it was camping we got to learn about sailing sail trim point of sail did some anchoring uh learned the terminology of the boat got to get some firsthand refit work i rebedded all the port lights in there i remade all the port lights in there i put Mm -hmm. new chain plates on it i did redid some of the standing rigging Mm -hmm. on there so it was a good uh introduction into sailboats Mm
3: -hmm. and the next big thing that we did was um we wanna be sick, we wanted to be safe. We wanted to be well prepared. So rather than continuing to do weekend classes, we hopped on to one of the Mahina expeditions, um, I think it was nine or ten days sail training expeditions in 2020. And that was such a huge catalyst for us getting to go sail with John and Amanda at the time. Um And there were four other students on board. So there were six of us. And we had all this dedicated time on a bigger boat learning with an instructor, which makes it comfortable. And the priority is really on preparing you and teaching you and then helping you learn what else you don't know and what you're good at and what you want to focus on. And that was so huge for us to do that. Um, and that actually led us into our ne- the next step, which we didn't realize we were going to take. <laughs> we try to be open to new doors um, all the time because we just Keep falling through new doors that are awesome that we didn't even know that were there. One of the stops that we made on this sail training expedition was at Skagit Valley College's Marine Technology Center up in Anacortes, Washington, um, and we had like a morning workshop there, I think, with Mike Beamer talking about marine engines and cooling systems and some basic maintenance stuff and I was like so overwhelmed I'm like I don't know any of this I don't touch the engine I'm terrified of electricity it's always trying to kill me like this is crazy and Gio's like loving it he was so in his element having a blast like seeing all the engines and all the (laughs) training aids in that place and it was super cool so we came home and we're like I think it'd be really good for us if we went back to school. <laughs> we're going to go to school to be certified marine technicians and we're going to do it at this place because this sounds like an awesome next step for us.
2: Yeah, wow. What a what a journey and so useful. So really starting from the very basics of we need to learn how to sail and then learning about safety, introduction to boat work and getting that more offshore experience And then getting really into the nitty gritty of let's learn everything that we can out of that. So that sounds like a really interesting education that you mentioned.
4: Well, so Julie is very calculated as far as how she does everything. I'm a planner. She she neglected to mention that. So before we decided to go on an offshore cruising sail with John and Amanda, she had looked at all of the ASA courses that they offer. And priced out all the ASA courses that they offer, and if you look at the value of all the ASA, how much is it going to cost to take all the ASA courses, and then how much it costs to go out with John for a week or ten days on one of his sail trainings, and what what you get out of um, an
3: extended cruise versus like weekend,
4: it's a much better value. So we us, uh, yeah yeah <laughs> so we we went that route, and it was um, I, I mean invaluable. It has been, I mean, we wouldn't be where we are without all the help that we got and without the mentoring that we got and the people that we met. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a little, a little outboard engine on our, our trailer sailor. Uh, but we knew the more research we were doing that, okay, we're going to have a good cruising boat and it's most likely going to have an inboard diesel engine. I don't know anything about diesel engines. What happens when it stops working? Like, I don't even know where to look. Um, so when we went to Skagit Valley college and, Mike Beamer's got this engine that's on a stand he's got a hose plugged into it and it's just running and he can talk to you about the the fuel pathways and the raw water cooling pathways and how it's compression ignition as opposed to a spark ignition and like you it, we got the basics from from absolutely terrified of <laughs> of going out there and not knowing What happens when the boat stops (laughs) too? Cool. I I will be excited to go and work on one of these things and and be the steward to take care of all of these systems because once they're yours, uh, you're the one that's responsible for every aspect of maintenance and if it's not done well or taken care of well, whether you're the technician or just the manager of it, Mm -hmm. it's still your fault. It's still all that weight is on your shoulders.
3: Yeah. And we we knew we wanted to go to remote places and we wanted to go to weird places and, and just be away from people, enjoy the ocean and the wildlife. And that means being really self-sufficient, like more self-sufficient than you would be if you were sticking to places where you have cell phone service all the time, where there's access to, to technicians and parts all the time. So it was all kind of this evolving package of we want to go to really remote places and be able to do just about everything we need to do ourselves that kind of resulted in this, well, now now we're going to go to school.
2: <laughs> well, it sounds like it would have increased your confidence level a lot because I'm thinking of myself currently, and I'm in the stage of where engines are really loud and really dirty, and that's, they are. Ex- that's, that's yeah. what I know. <laughs> But, you know, getting to that point, it sounds like a really useful training, but I would also love to hear, you know, was that trip that you did with John, um, was that one of your first experiences on a big boat or a bigger boat? And how was that very different from what you had done? Did you say it was a 25 foot boat that you had?
4: We Um, had an 18 foot Windrose. Um, and it was very rudimentary. There was a uh, port potty on board, uh, a V-berth, and a couple salon seats. So our our cruise that we did in the Pacific Northwest, it went from Bellingham out to the Pacific Ocean and back. We did that with John and Amanda in, when was it? It was
3: fall of 2020, and that was on a Genoa 45. So that was our our first (coughs) real cruising boat experience, and everything felt so much easier.
4: (laughs) It was cool. There was a head in there. There was a galley in there. Uh, The cockpit was amazing. There was a cool place to Mm -hmm. have, you know, meals with everybody. And there was a TV inside where, you know, in the evening they were doing uh, the cruising seminar PowerPoints, and we were learning more aboard. So yeah, it was a very different experience than we had had on Moxie, but it was part of the natural progression, right? And it was uh, something you wouldn't get from ASA. If you're going to ASA and learning celestial navigation, you're going to sit at a desk. If you're going to ASA and you're learning uh, points of sail, we were on a Cal 22, Mm -hmm. I believe. Uh, So just being on the bigger boat and having people with so much experience be able to walk around the boat and tell you that check out this sale track. This is, you know, this is the hardware they're using on this sale track and this is why it's good. Or this is why it's bad. And this is the uh, let's look at the main sale right now and, and break apart the anatomy of it. What is, uh, how is it sewn together? Are there battens? Are they full or no battens? And, and what is the advantage of having, um, you know, this sale versus that sale? It was, I mean, in invaluable.
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
4: And you know what else we learned on that cruise is we were on the cruise with a, a guy who's still a very good friend of mine, so I won't mention his name. <laughs> but he was missing for a couple days because he was so stinking seasick once we were in the Straits of Juan de Fuca and the swell was coming in that he was just puking his guts out down below all day. And I was like, well, dang, you know, it, that's something probably want to learn before you spend a couple hundred grand on a boat or even 50 grand on a boat it doesn't matter if if you cannot if you're one of those people that just do not do well with motion sickness it, it it's really good to try before you buy the cruising lifestyle and ensure that you are capable of doing
3: it yeah try try cruising like try being on a boat and and try the available options for managing seasickness for yourself to make sure that you have a solution for when it happens <laughs> something that works for you <laughs>
2: for sure such a good advice and i'm still a little bit in that process i think i'll be fine but i did get my seasick on a trimaran in very calm conditions at first so i think i just need to get used to it a little bit first before i start moving around too much on the boat but uh, that was quite funny it was like oh man <laughs> day one on a freaking trimaran like how much more smooth getting <laughs> oh, again maybe some of it was
3: nerves too cause probably like, yeah you go out for the it, it ended up being and... fine
2: the next day there was nothing but it was just you know day one it's like oh man <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: Uh, wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I got
4: seasick for my first time. I didn't puke, but I got uh, very nauseous and I almost lost it for the first time on our way down here to Mexico, Yeah, which was not even a month ago. I've been on boats forever, been on the ocean forever mm-hmm. and um, never been seasick before, but we were staging to leave for Ensenada from San Diego and we left the bay and we're sitting out, out front of San Diego Bay and we decided to drop the anchor and a bunch of storms had just come through and they were... 15 foot swells coming through. So we dropped the anchor. We're down below. The wind's blowing. The boat is just flailing (laughs) at the end of an (laughs) anchor. And I'm down below trying to cook. And I'm like, Julie, I'm getting sick.
1: We We should probably go
4: right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I've never taken motion sickness pills. I took a a Dramamine and I went below for a nap for an hour and everything was was good to go, (laughs) but you Mm -hmm. never know when it's going to come and And from what I've heard, that it's if you haven't been seasick yet, it's only a matter of time it will happen to you.
2: <laughs> so yeah, just get you know get familiar with the feeling because it doesn't mean that you can't go sailing if you get seasick. It just depends, you know, how severe are we talking, and how do you manage that?
4: Yeah, and be know? prepared. Yeah, like yeah. have have things on board, have uh, motion sickness pills, and. Um, uh, what emergency we use yeah
3: we this? keep a couple different motion sickness met- over-the-counter medications even though until now none of us had been seasick but i like to be prepared because you know girl scouts are always prepared <laughs> 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 so <laughs> i brought a few different ones not knowing if they'd ever get used and i had a little corner with like saltines and emergency for vitamin c dose and to rehydrate a bit in case anybody throws up and we just have a little, little little seasickness comfort corner in one of our cabinets where everything's in the same place.
4: <laughs> yeah, so even if it's not us, if we have crew on board that end up getting sick, it does become a a, a health concern if mm-hmm. someone is puking to the point that they can't stay hydrated. Yeah.
2: <clears throat> exactly, yeah, That that's exactly it. So it can be serious, but hopefully not. And I've also used those... Um, uh, I forget the brand name now, but uh, those sort of seasickness patches that you put behind your ear—they can be good, can also be really weird if you use them too much. <laughs> I experienced that, and I—I I put like one full one. I think you're supposed to put only half, and ahead of time. And I just put on a full one, and I like my vision was so blurry I could not even read my book. It was just like, oh my god! <laughs> wow, it's <That's> kind <laughs> of scary. <laughs> It was a little while. I was on a ship, so not on a sailboat. I didn't need to do anything. Just, you know, lay it my bed and that was all fine. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a learning curve to taking the medication as well or preventative mm-hmm. medication.
4: For sure. And <laughs> yeah, the, there's yeah. a success story for our buddy that was down below on the Mahina yes. trip. He has since found a medication that's only available out of Canada. It's called Stugeron. Yeah. And um, that uh, different um, motion sickness... Medication works differently for different people, and that ended up working for him. And he is able to be out on a boat, just so long as he is proactive about uh, managing his motion sickness with that medication, stutron. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, that is definitely good to know. And, and I'm glad that there's a happy ending for that story.
4: <laughs> yes, because he wants nothing more than to be a sailor. <laughs> it's true.
2: <laughs> exactly. So on this podcast, I often talk about the different approaches to this live-upward life. And I would love to hear what does the cruising lifestyle look like for you now that you are actively in it uh, as of six months ago. So are you guys on a sabbatical? Are you working? Are you just cruising indefinitely until savings run out? Like, what's your situation in that respect?
3: It's totally dynamic, and it's constantly evolving and changing. (laughs) Initially, we thought we were just going to go cruise for a year or so, and and that would be it. It would just be a nice sabbatical from land life, and we both needed our ocean fix and our ocean critter fix, and that would be that. And and it's turned into a lot more than that. Um, It's turned into a career change in a lot of ways, because now we've completely retrained um, it's turned into something that's indefinite that we love and we want to turn into something that we do professionally um, at some point. And right now we're living on savings and the opportunistic work that comes up um, wherever it does because we always keep an ear to the ground and we're working on cruising and enjoying it because that's what we've been building up to for for years now so we're really holding that line hard of like our goal was to go cruise and take a break we've done all this preparation and work and learned so much and we are just going to chill out and enjoy cruising for a little while and use some of that time to work on what our what our next steps are going to be professionally
4: I also think it's important that um that we have this this first real cruise. Um, so we want to do it professionally. Like I, oh gosh, I've had so many different careers in my life. Like before we, our last retirement, which (laughs) it was not a retirement. It was a decision to go do something cool. Um, I was a biologist for fish and wildlife service, uh, for 12 years, um, at a facility in Arizona. And but before that and after that, I've done so many different things. Uh, Everything I've been successful at and we retrained at at Skagit Valley's Marine College and we got excellent training. I feel very apt at at the learning. And I was you know, when we were going to school there. I was like, Julie, I'm done retraining. This is it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a marine technician. I'm going to work on boats. I'm going to be part of boating, cruising, uh, maritime like this is now what I do. (laughs) <laughs> um, so I think that this cruise, so we're planning right now to hang out in the Sea of Cortez until hurricane season comes. Um, and then we're planning to return to uh, Washington. We're going to return to Washington via Hawaii. We're going to go to Hawaii and then we're going to go up to Alaska and do the Inside Passage. And eat lots of salmon because we love salmon. Um, and then go back <laughs> down to Washington. And and start aligning some of these partnerships. We're both uh, recently signed up for our our captain's license through Mariners Learning System, so we have a, a professional avenue to to make some income that way. But
3: um, and we're both already ABYC certified marine technicians, and and I
4: have NEMA certification,
3: so we we've, we've totally. Totally retrained from our biology past to this like boat centric everything.
4: <laughs> but you can spend all the time you want in the classroom. Yeah. But the the real classroom is getting out there and, and having that cruise doing the thing, spending time in anchorages, spending mm-hmm. time in different marinas, doing uh, crossing and passages. I think that there's a lot of merit to the experience as well as the standardized education.
5: Oh,
2: for sure. And I love that you are thinking of it as a very dynamic thing, because of course, you can't even know what some of the opportunities are before you just enter into this lifestyle. And and Julie, you talked before about all these new doors opening, and it's kind of saying professionally, I've talked to a few different people who've just found a new career by, you know, thinking they're going on a sabbatical and then realized like, oh, I've actually developed a new career related to sailing. And it sounds like you're on a very similar path, maybe a little more intentional, but that's just wonderful that you found your uh, niche. Yeah, it is cool. And a big part of that is just staying
3: staying open, not staying like our plan has changed so many times. Our plan has pivoted constantly <laughs> over the last few years. And it it gets easier every time to be like, okay, that's not what's work. That's not what's feeling like what we're going to do. We're going to try this now and we'll go in this direction. And then, oh, there's a cool door right there. Let's check that one out. And it's a very, very different way of thinking and a very different way of accomplishing your goals too, compared to just a, I go to college, I get this degree, I get this job, and then I do this. And now it's just, there's so many different opportunities that you had no idea were there because you weren't looking for them.
4: (laughs) And now the common denominator is, is Seafox. This is now our home. Whenever we talk about, well, we can go do this and this and this. I'm like, well, not without my home. So (laughs) we are now cruisers. We're staying with the boat. We'll figure out a way to earn a living um, and still be out having adventures and still be in our home.
2: Yeah, which is really cool. I'm really happy for you guys. You have been in Mexico now for a little while. Let's talk about that. How? What are your first impressions um, of Mexico as a sailing destination? So actually
3: our first impression of Mexico for sailing was when we went on the sea trial for this boat, which was like the sea trial of our dreams, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> the, the boat was located in La Paz and um, John had put us in touch with these other previous expedition members who were getting ready to sail and were just kind of testing the waters and we were like, that's one that we fell in love with already. We would love it. Um, And we kind of went back and forth on emails a few times and phone calls and things. And we called them one night and they said, would you guys like to come sail with us for a few days um, in Mexico as your sea trial? And then we can, you know, talk about purchase once you've had a chance to hang out with the boat. We are like, in school. <laughs> um, so we're like, well, classes and whatever, whatever, all these silly excuses. And then we're like, what are we doing? Of course, we're going to fly to Le- to Mexico to go sail on the boat and like <laughs> have that. Cause so many times you go to look at a boat Or you people buy a boat and they don't ever get to talk to the the seller or the owner. And here we had the opportunity to actually go sail on the boat with the owner, which was like amazing to us. Um, So we did, and we ended up spending a week sailing with them um, down in from La Paz to Cabo. They dropped us off in Cabo and we had such a great time. It was awesome. Sailing in Mexico was fantastic. We had great anchorages, we had awesome wind. Good sailing, super great tacos, lots of fish, lots of wildlife, really friendly people. We had a great time. Um, And we're on our way to go do some more of that now.
4: (laughs) Yeah, it's still relatively inexpensive. I would say that uh, people should know that um, if you plan to stay in a marina, it's not going to be really any cheaper Mm -hmm. than it is um, in America. Uh, The tacos are way (laughs) cheap. Uh, The wildlife is free and abundant. Um, Mm -hmm. we've already met tons of cool cruisers down here. It's, it's really cool having exposure. Like we are hanging out with people that, um, have been out and about on their boats for many years now and have are here from South America or, you know, started in Florida and have been halfway across the world and, and back. So you have exposure to other cruisers and their experiences and, um, and really Good learning too. Like you can learn a lot in school, but you can learn a lot from an old guy next to you who's been <laughs> sailing for thirty years. True.
3: <laughs> they have a lot of stories, and it's great.
4: <laughs> so I would say Mexico is is highly recommended. As I would recommend for any cruising destination, just be be respectful, keep your footprint <laughs> small, <laughs> and really be nice to the resources because they're finite um, wherever you go. Uh, but Mexico is a really cool place in that those resources are not yet exhausted. They're very different than they were 10, 20, 30 years ago. I started coming down here in 2012 spearfishing because that's my passion and my connection to the ocean. Um, And even since then, things have changed. Prices have gone up, the numbers of fish, the abundance has gone down. Um, but as far as an uh, initial cruising destination, amazing, highly recommended.
2: And do you find that there's a lot of people there? It seems like Mexico is really popular, and I don't know if it's just because of I keep seeing all these people on Instagram. Uh, is it do you find it it's crowded where you are?
3: I wouldn't call it crowded in the places where we've been so far, but we've we've stuck to Baja. Um, we haven't been over to the mainland yet um and not crowded but definitely you're not the only one and some of the processes for cruisers are already established pretty well which means that there's you know there's a regular stream of cruisers coming through um or folks on boats at least coming through so we haven't been anywhere that we thought was super super crowded other than big cabo um was a lot for us it was like Sailing into Miami slash Las Vegas, um, <laughs> <laughs> and we're just not that kind of. That's not really our jam. We're we're remote, solitude, be with the wildlife, kind of be out in the boonies type of people. And then we come for our little tastes of civilization. And and we didn't really get that when we stopped in Cabo. We were mostly just like, it's so loud. <laughs>
4: yeah, and I would say a lot of Mexico, you we'll be sharing an anchorage with a boat Mm -hmm. or two Um, solitude and anchorages will be, uh, you'll be working to find it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, it's so easy for North Americans to go there that no wonder that it is, um, you know, that you're not the only people there, obviously. Um, So we talked a little bit about how you have now been boat owners for six months, give or take, and you were really prepared uh, by the sound of it, but has there been anything that has actually surprised you that you just weren't prepared for, either in a positive way or, or in a negative way, like, oh, did not think that would happen?
4: So the, the, the biggest surprise, I would say for me, was when we bought the boat, the boat was already in a marina in San Diego. <laughs> And we went to the marina and we applied for live aboard status, which we were very fortunate to get. Um, if we had applied for the same live aboard status on the same size boat in Anacortes, we would have been waiting for six years. So it was a, a huge surprise that this marina, our boat was already in, was like, oh, yeah, come live aboard. Um, so we we move aboard and we're doing all our refit projects and our outfitting. And <clears throat> we learned that there's a, a huge distinction between liveaboards and cruisers when we were there. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on this boat uh, on a boat that we spent a lot of money and that we have nothing but pride and great intentions for. And we were in a community of mostly people that were living in floating apartments that were not seaworthy, that were uh, not ever going to get used. It was just either an answer to an affordable housing crisis mm-hmm. or Someone always wanted to live on the water, but couldn't afford to have waterfront property unless it was a boat. Um, and there's a really deep stigma that's been established with with the public. Because I had I had interactions with the public, like all oh, these people that live in the marina, and I let them have their spiel, and then you know I kind of break it to them that I'm one of the people that live in the marina that you're talking terrible about. <laughs> these people that don't take care of the home, but there is a, a very broad spectrum of people that are living on boats. Uh, and those that are, are live aboards that are in floating apartments are very different than those that are, um, sailors that want to use their boat and are, are, their goal is to keep their boat seaworthy. And it is, it, it's, it's, a difficult distinction when you, when you get into that, like, how do you, uh, who, who gets priority like in, in the marinas, it's, it's a matter of opinion, right? Like who, no one's more important than another person, but you do get lumped into a group of people that, um, that might not have the same intentions as you. And I didn't know that it was a, even a thing. Mm-hmm. Like we were even some anchorages in San Diego were like, cool, we're going to go out for a sail and then stay in this anchorage. And you're there in a group of, I mean, homeless people that are not taking care of their boats and not being respectful of other people or the water. They're just, there. Uh, because they, they, that's their means. Um, it's, it's interesting in looking at our future as cruisers, like how are we going to establish ourselves as, as different than those people that are just live that are staying in floating apartments? How are, how do we let it be known to a Marina? Like we don't want to wait for six years because you're not trying to keep us out because we're just trying to live in affordable floating housing that we are, are here to be, members of the voting community and good stewards toward the ocean and the resources as opposed to people that are just living on boats because they can't afford or don't want to be part of uh, society in in the way of people that live on land
3: mm-hmm. yeah and and it, it was a it's a temporary thing for a lot of cruisers i like guess where we were like we only need this for like six months and then we're gonna take off or a year or whatever it is versus it being an indefinite liveaboard thing so that that was definitely uh, an interesting diversity of communities that we were exposed to for the first time <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. I know there's a similar issue in British Columbia on the west coast of Canada, um, even like reputation-wise um, if, you know, liveaboard um, where well, liverboards are not very welcomed into marinas anymore because of those few people who have, who essentially are, or have been homeless and maybe they've, uh, you know, salvaged a boat and are living on it until it sinks type thing. And uh, that has caused some issues then in the wider community there. So there's definitely a distinction there uh, for sure.
3: Yeah, we did find that like showing up in person at the marina office helps a lot. Um, not just calling and saying, hey, do you have any liveaboard slips, which is tricky if you're really far away from the marina you're trying to get into. But but if you can, as much as you can show your face and yep, show nice. pictures of your boat and, Speak and be presentably, yeah, it makes
2: a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, go to job interview. <laughs> it, exactly. Yeah,
3: it really um. is. <laughs> but that that said, though, I think one of the other big surprises for us just in the last few months has been... That there there really is no one size fits all cruising goal or dream. Um, we firmly believe from our experience that figuring out what your goal really is and who you want to be as a cruiser and how you want to cruise is a precursor or a prerequisite to deciding which boat you want and where you want to buy it and all that fun stuff. Um, but it is like totally amazing how many different types of people are cruising in different ways and having a blast. Like everyone is making it who like whatever they want it to be, enjoying it in different ways. So there's, there's just no one cookie cutter. This is a cruiser kind of thing. It is such a neat community because there's so many different people on so many different boats doing their thing, having a blast and living their dream, which doesn't have to be the same as your dream. And it's very cool.
2: Yeah. Oh, well, that's really well said. Yeah, that's that's a good observation for sure. I'm wondering, would you have any tips for anyone like myself who is sort of really itching to get on the water, doesn't have a boat yet, or is you know in the transition of trying to make the change from land life to boat life? Any any tips to share? Yeah, absolutely.
4: My my number one tip, and this is going to be more difficult for some than others, but it is very important that you be brutally honest with yourself um, and your partner. You know, if it's, if it's you going out by yourself, you have to take a full personal inventory. If it's you going out with a partner, you have to have some real in-depth conversations, but what are your goals? What are your objectives? What are your priorities in life? Everybody has different circumstances. Everyone has different family circumstances. Everyone has different health problems or lack thereof. Fitness, um, not everyone's going to want to cross oceans and your boat budget just got cut in half. If you don't want to go- cross across <laughs> an ocean, so you can get by yeah. a way cheaper boat and still have a great time. Yeah. Um. So I, what I've learned is that, and I've worked with some other cruisers and um in doing boat selection, you're the only person that you could be like completely honest with. Um, but it really helps if if you have someone trying to help you to be very honest with them, but I, I can't help you. You cannot help yourself until you are completely 100% honest about who am I and what do I want? Mm -hmm. Um, And where is, where do I want this journey to take me? If you're hundred percent honest with yourself, that will make your, your boat selection. Um, And your journey that much easier because you're not going to have to make up excuses for yourself or your uh, inequities along the way. You just, you know, if, if your conversation with yourself is true and real um, that I would say that's my number one tip.
3: And I think along with that, we often hear people recommend um, chartering a boat in the Caribbean or something for a week before they decide if cruising is really for them. And I think I would take a step back from chartering and I would say do a week-long sail training expedition of some kind. Make sure that you have an instructor to help you out, especially if you're brand new to boating. Like a bareboat charter when you have no boating experiences can be a lot for some people if they're not super into it. Um, and having somebody help you learn these things is great. And having the opportunity to have material presented to you and then you can decide if you really love learning that stuff or not. If you are, really into charts and electronics or something like that, you're just going to like soak it up and be like, this is the coolest thing ever. But if you can't stand paying so much attention to the weather <laughs> or learning how the weather works, like that might be something that you're just not going to not gonna enjoy. And it might deter you if you don't have someone helping you with the other aspects of cruising that you could maybe make yours, make your corner. I didn't think that electrical work or any of the boat maintenance stuff would be my corner at all by any means until we went to school and I'm very happy that we did that Um, (laughs) and now she's
4: my phone a (laughs) friend I'm like hey baby this thing's got a bunch of wires in it come look at it for me
3: (laughs) yeah um and that kind of gives gives me a different point that I talk a little bit about in the, the Mahina seminar is that being open to being a different person when you're cruising is huge there are the traditional pink and blue chores and responsibilities on the boat. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with making any of them purple. Um, Just mix it up and get involved. You totally get to start fresh with the things that you learn about and the things that you specialize and you decide that you love. And nobody can make that decision except for you and your partner for sure. And it's, it's very liberating in a way. It can also be very intimidating. So having some, help figuring those things out helps a lot (laughs) we also i coined this a while ago actually um i always apply the pi rule (laughs) to boat things and my it sounds very scientific because that's where we came from the pi rule basically states that if you think it's going to take an hour it's going to take 3.14 hours and if you think it's going to cost a hundred dollars it's going to take 314 (laughs) dollars
4: And if you apply the pie rule to everything that you're doing on your boat, you will never be disappointed.
3: It's true. Your your expectations (laughs) will always be realistic.
2: (laughs) That is excellent advice. Yes. And a a good, you know, a little mind trick to keep in mind uh, as you're preparing budgets, especially, which I assume are always a bit of a surprise. So yeah, good planning tool. I like it.
3: Yeah, I think it's also uh, we've also learned that it's not just you deciding to go cruising and then going. It really does take a village. You always have friends and family and mentors and other cruisers and and people who are helping you make this happen. Like we totally recognize that even being able to make the decision to go cruise to buy a boat is a huge privilege um, and a huge thing that we've been able to do, but. But also continuing to recognize that it's not just us. There's there's so much more happening in the background with people who are keeping an eye on us or checking the mail once in a while and, and that kind of thing. It's a community and it's, it's very strong and you will build yours and making sure that you're not... Um, you're not just thinking of it as I'm an island, only I can do this. There's so many people who are going to help you get there and support you too. So it can be overwhelming with all the things you have to do and learn and figure out, but you're not the only one. And there it, you've just always got people in your corner to help.
2: Yeah, that's well said as well. Like it's it's not a lonely process once you start to get into it, or it doesn't have to be rather, I guess, if you really want to do it all by yourself, you can. But uh, yeah, I, I would say that it's The sailing community, even for me, who is not even a sailor yet, it has been absolutely fantastic.
3: You've been (laughs) sailing. You are a sailor already, (laughs) Anica.
2: Sure, sure. I I don't live on a boat, so I'm not a liverboard sailor. Let's say that way. Okay. (laughs) I'm an aspiring sailor. Well, thank you, Julia Gio. This has been absolutely wonderful to chat with you. If people want to connect with you online and, and go follow your Mexican Mexican adventure. Where can people go and, and find you guys?
3: Uh we have a pretty basic website set up. It's um capellimarine.com and we've got links to our Instagram and uh, a Patreon account on there. We also um teach through the Mahina virtual and in-person seminars. You can check those out and learn from us a bit. Both of us have done a ton of YouTube videos for the SVC Scallywags YouTube channel. We do lots of boat maintenance tech tips and things on there. Um, And when we're in town in Anacortes, we teach through the Cruisers College up there too. So you can hang out with us there.
2: That's perfect. Thank you. And I'll link those in the description as well. So people have direct links to go, go and check things out. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Julie and Gio. I had a really fun time chatting with them. Next week, it's time for a different story again. And in the meantime, you can come say hi on Instagram or Facebook, where you can find me as Liverboard Sailing Podcast. And of course, and I'd be delighted to have you join the Patreon crew as well, where I share some extra content and updates along the way. And if those sail trading expeditions with John Neal in Scotland are of interest, go check out Mahina.com to learn more. All right, I will see you next week with a new episode. Bye for now.
5: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.